the OTB Podcast Network. Let's talk football. Kenny is with us because uh, what an incredible weekend of football it was. <laughs> Where the hell do we start? The problem is that everybody is seeing so much of this now, whereas, like, you know, you'd watch Match of the Day and see the highlights, but every game being on means that there's actually talking points. Is that right? Is, are people, this is my point, are people actually watching? I mean, I'd hazard a guess even football supporters are struggling to get through maybe 50%. 50% if left, is 30 like, to 50%. It's a lot of games. You're right, actually. I mean, yeah, it's it true, used to be it's two true. games a weekend, and now it's like four, I'd say, a lot of people are getting to it. Uh, maybe four is too many, but there's always there's always like flick it on. It's like I just don't there. know what to make at this stage. They, they kind of play, the game's being divvied up over the I don't know on field Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Initially, you're looking and you think, oh great, great opportunity to watch all this football. It's perfect, yakky the yak. But I don't know. I, I'm a little deflated to be honest. Uh, uh, six o'clock Saturday evening, you know, traditional Saturday, the three o'clock. You're back home six, and suddenly you've only it's only we've only had one result. You know, it's barely even begun. You have to get deep into Sunday evening, Monday before you get a little bit of a flavour in terms of how the football and weekend's gone. Like, it's a strange one. Well, and also it was madness. There was too many four threes. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Owen would have enjoyed He's a big American for NFL basketball. He looks a bit, the big scores, the big points. Supposed, right up on street, right up on street. You're supposed to have a four three once every four or five years. And it becomes such a big thing because it happens. And, and now it's like twice in the weekend. Yeah, and Everton, again, I watched the Everton game. I hadn't seen their first game against Tottenham, so I really wanted to see that one um, uh, Saturday, the early kickoff Saturday. And that was just, again, just an explosion of goals uh, as well. It all went off. I mean, they played really well, Everton, from an attacking point of view. Big controversial moments, obviously, they're sending off, etc. But, yeah, so there you go. That was a far, far cracker from the very start. Seven goals in the early kickoff. Are you then picking Liverpool versus Chelsea as your game of the weekend then, considering the <laughs> No, I did say to Jay, I was a little bit of a damn squibbage, uh, squib. No, uh, not for the reason maybe uh, you were set on, because um, I just felt the actual quality wasn't of the level that I was expecting in the uh, Liverpool-Chelsea game. You know, where, where, I'm not exactly sure what it was, just a little tepid for me. I know the, kind of, the sending off kind of skewed a little bit, but even up to that point, Oh, and do you know what I mean? It was decent kind of from a defensive point of view. Chelsea's defensive shape was kind of solid and Liverpool found it difficult to break it down. They, they, you know, they counted quite well on one or two occasions. Chelsea, Werner had a couple of great opportunities in the first half for me. Kind of got Fabinho in almost 1v1 situations and didn't take advantage of it. Showed a little bit of lack of confidence. It was strange, really. Uh, and they kind of Liverpool survived that. And of course, after back to the centre-half, that was the end of it. But I've no problem with a uh, nil-all like... And, and I, I, I honestly do. I'm trying to. It's difficult for me to separate it. The kind of gluttony of goals on, and the kind of you know all the fireworks going off. There's some great goals, some excellent attack and play, and I do appreciate that. But if it's not complemented uh, by some really solid uh, collective defending and individual defending, for me it's just it's very difficult to actually quantify how good the attack and play is. I'll always stick to that. One complements the other. And if the, the, the quality of the defender is not up to the level required, collectively and individually, for me, that just skews the whole picture in terms of the quality of the game. And I think we've mm. seen a little bit of that in the opening couple of weekends of the season. Why is that? Hey. I, is there, I, my theory is that the players are taking more chances because there are no crowds to give out about stuff and players are less up for these games. In, in the, 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 psychologically, it feels like a training session. So they're trying stuff that they try in training and it's uh, it's easier for them. There's less giving out. There's less nah. You know, 
Like, and that's why... I know the point you're making. I don't agree with it, uh, to be honest with you. And your first point in terms of taking more chances, I, I think you've got... There's merit in that in terms of how teams are looking to play, uh, generally speaking, playing out from the back, even under pressure. That, that invites a huge amount of pressure and a lot of... Um, ask some serious questions terms of your technical abilities of defending your ball playing skills so I think some defenders are coming up short in that respect but no in terms of the basic the fundamentals of defending how you defend your area the pitch up against your man your decision making in terms of when to squeeze when to drop into space when to cover a run when to step up when to pass a man when to stay on your feet when to go to ground when to head a kick it all of those all the basics of kind of defending that's what I'm saying a lot of mistakes and for me that's nothing to do with how many people are inside the stadium that's just out now ranked defending you mentioned there kenny that chelsea's opportunities yesterday came from i guess semi-hopeful balls over to the, over the top to target the pace of timo Werner, and he potentially lacked a bit of confidence in your view is it not a case that fabinho was just possibly the best player in the pitch up until the sending off yesterday is that not the fact of the matter here because werner has been okay the first couple of games except when fabinho's had him in his pocket no, I wouldn't go that far. I think that's a stretch. I think Fabinho played well, showed his versatility uh, stepping in at, uh, at centre-half. But the, the one kind of small area weakness in that Liverpool team, yes, it was probably Fabinho in terms of his lack of mobility, his athleticism, and maybe the ability of Chelsea to get down the side. And that may have been a reason why he played Werner off the left. He played Havertz as a false number nine and Mount off the right. Not too many people saw that. So I think he just felt... Uh, Werner just driving into the space between in behind Alexander-Arnold could maybe and expose Fabinho a lot. Now Chelsea didn't have a huge amount of possession on in terms to continually get him possession in the right areas of the pitch but when they broke and they won back possession on kind of turnovers that was the ball they looked to hit really Werner uh, in behind Trent Alexander-Arnold and he kind of fronted Fabinho up a couple of times in the first kind of half an hour on the edge of the box but for me it wasn't so much a lack of confidence maybe Owen just kind of made the wrong decision you could tell he was a little bit reluctant to drag of times I think he should have driven uh, past for, for being on the outside he looked to shift it back in onto his uh, right foot there was a bit of indecision there and Fabinho smothered him once and uh, Van Dijk I think came across and doubled up uh, and the opportunity went so yeah I think uh, Fabinho had a, had, a, had a fine game and, and fair play to him but just felt in those key moments in the first half Wenger just needed to be more clinical in, in his decision making more so than anything else it's interesting because uh, I guess after the Leeds game, there was definitely a sense that Liverpool now need to go out to the market and sign a centre-back uh, ASAP for the sort of covering situation of Joe Gomez not being there. Do you think that with Thiago in the midfield, that's uh, an extra option in midfield, Fabinho can then just be this versatile cover because, as you say, he did have a fine game? Yeah, no, you're right. I think that's the reason why he allowed Lovren uh, to go and he hasn't actually replaced him on because he looks and he thinks, so I've got Van, da- Van Dijk Gomez, Matt Seep is my next option. And then obviously, who's my forward choice? Because it is possible you lose two of your centre-halves, as they have done. And in, he obviously looked at Fabinho and thought, I trust him. If he needs to step in, I trust him. He can go in there and do a job, which he did yesterday. So that's the reason why he hasn't kind of spent on that kind of squad addition in terms of a centre-half. Yeah, the Thiago one's going to be an interesting one going forward. I still scratch my head a little bit at it. I think the squad is strengthened by his arrival. But for me, they've spent kind of 30 million on a tour choice number six. That's what he is. Right. He doesn't play ahead of Henderson or Fabinho for me in that hold in midfield. But you're not picking the team. So Klopp's going to pick him ahead of him, right? Oh, of, course, of, course, of course Klopp's going to pick him. Yeah, I'm not Liverpool so manager. He's not, but he's not, he's not a third choice then. They've, 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 my opinion. But, it, but he, thinks, he thinks he's an improvement as a number six, right? On Henderson and Fabinho. Yeah, that's what, that's what it looks like. 
Now, so I think Owen's going to make. Well, maybe I haven't heard. I haven't heard. I've never. I haven't heard uh, Klopp come out and say he's going to be. This, I bought him as my first choice uh, number six. Like I said, I think he's inferior to Fabinho and Henderson in that holding uh, midfield position. That's why I'm surprised he brought him in. I probably said it like a month ago when they, they were linked with him. I said, I can't really see this one, I said, because he'll strengthen the squad, experienced player, good technician, decent football. I saw a bit of that yesterday, although he was under no pressure. But what we saw also yesterday was deficiencies defensively. We saw the number of missed tackles he made. We saw, the penalty, we saw the penalty give away. I commentary. I can't believe he didn't do it. I told you so, because it sounded like you, uh, you were... You were pointing out how his tackle technique isn't great and then five minutes later he gives away a penalty and you're like, I did point out his tackle technique is not well, so good. Well, you've got to call it as you see it. Like I said, I think he's a very good footballer. We didn't see, actually see how good a footballer he was yesterday because Chelsea just backed off and let him have the ball. He's worked around the pitch. He's actually a good, ba- uh, good ball player in tight areas even when the pressure comes on. He's a good technician. Yeah. But it, for me, he, he's weak defensively. He is so, weak defensively. Oh, and you had a theory that he's not actually a six at all. Yeah, well, like, I definitely feel that, like, so we had David Myler on Friday and he said it could be Fabinho versus Thiago. I wonder just on the evidence of yesterday if that's going to be the battle at all, that Fabinho is a far superior player at the base of uh, a midfield three, that if Liverpool do want to go to two sixes that are perhaps more advanced, then Thiago clearly is the outstanding option in that position. I know they don't play a number 10, but something just a little bit deeper than that, some, a, a player to unlock the defence from central areas, he looks like he can do that better than Wijnaldum, better than Henderson, better than Fabinho. No, I disagree with you there. I mean, Liverpool play like yeah, Liverpool play with a six and two eight on that kind of inverted triangle in, mid, in, in midfield. Now, predominantly he's played in the base of that for the last kind of year at Bayern Munich. That's where people have seen him play. So I, I've, I've given me opinion in terms of where I see him. I see him as third choice in the Liverpool team behind Henderson and Fabinho in that position. So I think it is a fair argument. During his career, he's also played as one of those advanced positions as those two uh, kind of number eights. But for me, at this stage of his career, I don't think that's where he's most effective. And I don't think, again, I don't think he gets in the Liverpool team ahead of Wijnaldum, uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Keita, or even Curtis Jones in those two advanced... Yeah, no. In those two advanced positions. Why this stage of his career? It's a pacing? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. And I think it's the same with Jordan Henderson a little bit. Henderson has been used as one of those advanced number eights and a six. And he's played in the team with Fabina because of his versatility. Fabina can just play at the base. But Henderson, over the next couple of years, you're going to see he's going to, he's going to cover that number six role because in terms of his legs, his energy levels, athleticism that he has, that's good. there's going to be a little bit of a drop-off there. So he's going to be looking to play just by a natural evolution. He's going to be looking to play the holding midfield position a little bit more as well. So I just think Thiago's totally squeezed out there. I think he will get game time, don't get me wrong. Um, to a certain extent, Champions League Cup games and certain league games. But that's the bit you saw it snaps a sh- uh, shot of it yesterday. In that game, they're the man, they're the man sparing that game yesterday, and he was asked a couple of questions defensively, and he just hadn't got the answers. I mean, that challenge he made for the penalty, that's like Matt. You can't just close your eyes to that. That was like a centre midfielder, hair and back, full pelt, just not seeing a clear picture in his head, stumbling into the back. That just. That just can't happen like that. That kind of decision making, really, the alarm bells are screaming there. If I'm a manager or a player and I'm seeing that, I'm thinking, wow, when the big games come along, when it really kind of matters, when we need somebody there who we can trust, be disciplined, see danger, sense danger, and go and deal with it, make good decisions, when to stay on your feet, when to go to ground, and, and actually how to tackle. I don't think technically he actually understands how to tackle. I've seen it, not just yesterday. I've seen it with him over the last couple of years. I've, I mean, I watch a lot of the continental football. Uh, German football as well and he actually struggles to technically what he does and what you find of people who can't not very good tacklers they panic they actually jump into tackles they go to ground both feet they lunge in 
because that's the easiest thing to do. The hardest thing to do is stay in your feet, position your body, your upper body, and actually under, understand the art of actually defending, using your body and your, getting your body in front of people to actually nudge them out. All these little, small little um, uh, skills which you need. So I don't want to talk him down too much. Look, like I said, he's got, he's got some, some wonderful attributes. If you'd have said to me, if you'd have said to me a month ago, we might have had a conversation about Liverpool, where do they need to strengthen? I said, they don't need to strengthen the first 11. I said, periphery of the squad, yeah, absolutely. But one player, if you'd have said Liverpool got £70 million to spend uh, a, a month ago, how do you spend it? In a heartbeat, I would have said Havertz. Spend all of it and get Havertz to the football club. Because Havertz goes straight into this Liverpool team for me at the moment as a number eight and actually improves the, improves the team. Well, Thiago well, doesn't. And Diego, I think, is a very good boy. But he'll only supplement that uh, front three in the, in the short term. How come he looked so good then when he was on the ball? Like uh, it, it, there has to be other than them having the extra man. Like you can't. Oh, you can't. No, you back. can't. Though. you can't judge him. I think he's a very good football. I'm not. I'm not going to judge him on yesterday. Every time he got the ball, there was ten yards of space in front of him. So you can't judge him on that. But he is a fair. But like I'm saying, is he actually can play under pressure in tight areas? A good player playing the half turn, good vision, works the ball quickly, kind of one-two touch on. He's a good. Pa- he's a decent passer of the ball. But you look at that pass Jordan Henson played. For the, for, the, for the sending off. Jordan Henderson is as good as anybody in terms of his long-range pass. And a couple of goals Liverpool scored last year, Henderson picking the ball up deep in that massive diag over opposition defenders. Remember got a goal at Bournemouth, I think it was Mane who scored it as well. So Henderson, for me, in terms of his long-range pass, and he doesn't get enough credit, is as good as anything. Um, Thiago's a better technician than Henderson, can sort his lower centre of gravity, sorts his feet out quicker, one-two touch, can play uh, better in tight, congested areas than Jordan Henderson. So... This, this, is, this is all I'm saying. It's not a personal thing. It's just what I've observed, not off yesterday, but over like the last couple of years, what I've seen out of Thiago. And I'd ask Liverpool supporters and people are saying, wow, what amazing signing. If you had to pick between Henderson, when, uh, Fabinho or Thiago in that holding midfield position, who would it be? I mean, would you, would you agree, supposedly with Klopp as Jerry saying that Thiago is going to be in your starting eleven? I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if that was the case. Like... One of the things that we've seen from Klopp is that he changes the style. There's an evolution. So at the start, it was go, 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 all go. And then they changed into a team that would like to keep the ball for a while and were, were able to win games differently. Is there an evolution here? Is that what he's trying to do, to get somebody in the team who's going to keep the ball yeah. a bit more? I think it's a fair point. If, that, if you're looking for that type of player, that kind of quarterback, a kind of Pirlo figure, uh, own in, that, in that, uh, that base and that number six position. So you're really kind of, you're looking to play more of a possession-based game and, and be more maybe proactive, more clinical in terms of your passing from deeper areas. Yeah, absolutely. But what's the, what's the trade-off? The trade-off is you're putting a player in that area of the pitch you can't defend. Well, do you put him then to put somebody beside him? So it's two sixes and an eight. Oh, well, of, but that's a total. Eights. That is a total transformation. Sarah. Liverpool, Liverpool have very rarely during Klopp's reign deviated from that kind of midfield, that inverted triangle, the deep line six and the two eights. Very rarely that's happened. He's only really changed when he's chasing a game in the past. He's had to sacrifice one of those three midfielders and bring a fourth forward on. I think they could actually. I'd like to see a little bit more of that actually. When I look at Minamino, I think for me he's almost a number ten. He's a very clever little player and I think possibly uh, this year at times we'll see Liverpool flip to a two a bit like you were saying Jay get an, or- an orthodox midfield two and someone like Minamino playing behind Firmino that's an in- interesting little dynamic but I don't think it'll happen week to week that, that that's quite a serious shift in terms of how you play your kind of patterns of play etc yeah like it just uh, I guess after the penalty as well Kenny yes, there is 
an intervention in the Liverpool box about 10 minutes later where he takes the ball off Werner's foot. Like, I, I mean, if, if we're going to take away credit for the fact that Chelsea are down to 10 men for this, we also probably need to give Thiago credit for the fact that he joined the club 48 hours before the match. Like, getting used to his teammates, getting used to his surroundings. Like, I think in fairness, there, there probably needs to be a little bit of an, an allowance for a little bit of a lapse like that. I don't think we can just... No, I'm not. I'm not uh, my opinion is, I'm not forming my opinion what I saw yesterday. I'm forming my opinion what I've seen over the last three or four years. I've seen enough of them play. This isn't just off the back of what I saw in half an hour yesterday. That was just a snapshot for me yesterday of what I've seen of them over a very over a longer period of time. And like I said, like every player, he's got his strengths and weaknesses. But I always get, in terms of how Liverpool play, how defensively strong they are, like when they go hunting the ball, that kind of high press, whatever it is, mid press, whatever they do, everybody's switched on, everybody's aggressive, everybody makes good decisions, angle of approach, how to tackle that type of thing. There's been real kind of physical elements to Liverpool's team. Once you start introducing players like uh, Thiago, for me, you kind of dilute that a little bit. Is there a trade-off in terms of what you gain? Possibly so. But for me, Liverpool's success, Liverpool haven't had to play with a, with a, with a number, like a quarterback in that in number six position in terms of success they've had on. So if it ain't broke, you know, don't fix it. That's how I see it. I just think improving what you've got. The fundamentals are already in place there. So can you improve on it in certain areas? And someone like Havertz, for me, we mightn't see him maybe in the first couple of months at Chelsea. He's playing out position uh, at the moment. But for him, very quickly, he can offer you, for me, 10, 15 plus goals easily from that central midfield position where kind of the likes of Keita and Wijnaldum are operating. So for me, he was the one. I think they've, they've missed the trick a little bit, Liverpool, in terms of Ronaldo's talking about maybe Barcelona might bring, uh, uh, take him there. And there's good cover there, Oxley chain Of course, Jones, I'm a fan of, don't get me wrong. So I'm just, like I said, I'm not saying they've made bad decisions in terms of their, their signings. Jota, I think, absolutely fine signing uh, when you look at it in its own merits. But the Thiago one for me, no, I've, I've had my reservations for the reasons that I've said. Well, let, let's talk about Havertz then. Um, Chelsea, you know, you were making the point in, in commentary yesterday that this isn't their full team. We're not ready to judge them just yet, that you'd like to see a midfield. I think it was uh, Kante, Havertz and was it Pulisic? Mount. Mount. They, they were your midfield trio. And we're, we're a bit away from actually seeing exactly what this team can do just yet. And again, players still coming in at this point. So not overreacting to a Chelsea defeat where you know, they're in the game until the sending off. Um, how, how close are they to competing for the title this season? Yeah, not, not obviously with that team that was on the pitch yesterday, but you put that kind of six that, that I spoke with there, that midfield. The problem with Chelsea will have, in, say in comparison to Liverpool, even when you put that front three on the pitch, say Pulisic, uh, Wenger and, and Ziyech, they probably can contribute in terms of goals what the Liverpool front three do. But that midfield three potential with Mount and Havertz are absolutely key. And I think Lampard recognises that. I think that's why he spent big on Havertz. I think he knows his two number eights need to contribute 20-plus goals between them, 20-25 goals, to supplement those goals. I don't think any of those front three necessarily are going to be prolific. So Havertz potentially for me can do that and Mason Mount as well in those kind of central, advanced central uh, midfield areas. And then you've got the counterbalance of Kante in that holding uh, position. I'd make the same argument with Jorginho. Again, we've had the conversation. For me, he can't play there. Chelsea won't win a title with Jorginho in, 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 in that area of the pitch for, the, for his deficiencies defensively as well. Kante for me complements, counterbalances the attacking qualities of Mount and Havertz. That's why I think that's 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 quite beautiful, that midfield three. But the problems are going to be further down the park in terms of that, that partnership at centre-half and the whole kind of defensive unit plus goalkeeper. That's the, still the big question mark about this Chelsea team. When was the last time Ngolo Kante played six 
consistently because it's two managers ago now is it no but this is it's interesting I've looked at Lampard since he's been at the football club and he's clearly wrestled with this because straight in he came in and straight I spoke to a few people at Chelsea and they told me he's a huge fan of Jorginho because he wants this type of player in that number six for the reasons maybe you're saying maybe Klopp's looking to a bit of an evolution at Liverpool and get uh, Alicantra in there somebody who can receive the ball off the centre half and full backs on the half tour and get look forward quick and punch those little 10-15 yard balls break the lines yeah, uh, quick switches of play, all that type of thing. And Georgina to an extent can do that as Thiago, uh, as Thiago can. But again, it's the flip. But by doing that, he's pushed Kante into advanced position, which I think he's done okay with. But I don't think best suits uh, his strengths. But I just think uh, as a result as well, Chelsea, Chelsea have been porous in that area of the pitch as well. It's been a problem for them. Uh, that's when they haven't got the ball and they're having to defend and trust Jorginho to do a defensive job in that area of the pitch. He's just not capable of doing it so my, my, I would put Kante you're right there's a bit of noise around Kante I don't understand it. maybe there's something we don't know yeah, that's talking about him being it? linked there's something going on there was that COVID thing it was a little bit of what he's now he can't he's not, he's not available there's some family issues so there might be something behind the scenes there maybe so yeah. but I think physically the way he moves around the pitch and just experiencing his qualities for me all day maybe this again it's just personal preference doesn't mean I'm not saying I'm right I'm just saying this is how I see it for me it's Kante all day in that uh, area of the pitch to complement those other players he can't play, no way he can play Jorginho, Havertz, say, and mount in that midfield three. Forget it. Forget about any thoughts of winning the title with that midfield three. It's totally our kill to our balance. But um, yeah, that, that's, that's, the, that's the questions he'll have to wrestle with Lampard over the next couple of weeks in terms of if he goes and jumps again in the transfer mark, which I think he, he could well do. To get what in the transfer market? When a, a centre-half stroke hold the midfielder, maybe some, as I've mentioned Declan Royce before, that may not happen to be fair, just, just may not happen for a number of reasons. But uh, I don't see a natural partner for, for Thiago. And there's question marks over Thiago. People think Thiago's going to hit the ground run, he's going to be bossing everything back there, he's going to be untouchable. That may not be the case. He might struggle a little bit in terms of the pace and what he's up against Same as well. Same as Kenny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you look at you look at Tamori's the one I think potentially could could step up, but he might need another year's experience somewhere else before he's ready. So, yeah, so lot lot of grounds for excitement, but but Chelsea fans are going to, have to be careful because at the moment that's the balance is not right in the team. They just cannot get their best players on the pitch. It, it does seem that any optimism of a three horse race was a little bit misplaced from the start of the season, Kenny. And Manchester United's performance on Saturday night uh, is a factor in that. There's going to be so many complaints made about Ed Woodward tweets about Manchester United over the, the next couple of days saying they need to sign this player or that player. But the fact of the matter, I'm sure you think, is that if you have these players already at your disposal, you shouldn't be getting beaten by Crystal Palace at home. Well, no, I think you've been a bit disrespectful to the Crystal Palace. I'd say that I understand the point you're making now, and don't get me wrong, but I'm a big fan of Hearts and how he sets his team up, the counter-attack on football, which they play home and away, and how effective they are, you know, play, playing to your strengths and getting the very maximum out of what you've got. That's the essence of coaching and management, and Hudson does that better than most. Now, you can talk a lot Manchester United about what uh, Manchester United fans, what they have and kind of haven't got, who they need in what areas. But again, I'd make the argument, was that the best, for the players on the pitch at the moment, was that the best performance you could have expected from those Manchester United players on the pitch? And the answer was no. Really mm. surprised me. I raced back to watch that game um, after covering the 3 o'clock game. I was looking forward to it, and it really took me back into how tepid they were. 
Manchester United. It really took me back on. I was really expecting to be energised. That kind of front three, Fernandez, Pogba, that front five really I've spoken about potentially that could be the best in the world. And I know David James played, Greenwood didn't play. That was a slight surprise. But just generally speaking, just a little bit off the pace, a bit kind of nerve, that nervous tension crept into the play defensively. They're probably as bad as I've seen them play. We know there's issues there on in terms of strength in the back four. But I'd have to say, yesterday was the first time People have been talking about need a good centre-half to play alongside Harry Maguire. Absolutely. Possibly even strength in one of the, a bit of cover in the full-back areas. Yeah, absolutely. But after that performance, yes, it was the first time I've looked at it and thought, do you know what? They might have to be braver here. And it might take a different manager to come into the football club and, and tear the whole thing up from a defensive point of view and, and start again with two top-class centre-halves, a top-class partnership, two of them, and, and break up the partnership of uh, Maguire and Lindelof, both of them. Because Harry Maguire now is getting to the stage. I'm looking at him and as good as he is in terms of ball playing ability, he kind of very dominant in both boxes in terms of early, powerful ahead of the ball. But it's becoming more and more obvious the higher Manchester United get up the pitch, the more questions he's asked to defend in 1v1 situations and turn and run those channels in behind. He's re- it's, he's, it's a real struggle for him because of his physical makeup bone. And it's cost him, you know, it goes over the last season. It hasn't been spoken about too much. It's been, well, you know, he's made a mistake, but, you know, he's the man, he's the leader, he's our captain, he's the kind of way forward. But the more mistakes he continues to make, the more the argument is going to grow, even amongst Manchester United supporters, that, you know what, we may have to go again. We may have to bite the bullet, potentially, uh, uh, Harry Maguire, and go and get two centre-halves who with a different type of DNA you know, good athletes, you know, powerful runners, good in 1v1 situations. You can afford to send your full-backs up the pitch now and you're not going to get caught out counter-attack with the likes of Zaha, you know, Townsend running in behind because you'll have centre-halves. You've got the pace to deal with that ball over the top and are good in 1v1 situations and are kind of rocks all their strengths really are in the defensive aspects of their game. They may not be the best ball players in the world. It may not be at Harry's level in terms of their productivity in terms of playing the ball forward at the midfield and making a contribution higher up the pitch but you can trust them you can trust them out of possession in terms of their ability to defend their half of the pitch so that's probably the first time yesterday I got a bit of a sense of that watching that United back forward thinking you know what it may not just be another centre half to play alongside Maguire it may need a total overhaul and given the financial outlay of Maguire this is like an Alexis Sanchez level of getting it wrong isn't it it's worse it's actually worse no, I wouldn't say that, Owen. That's too far. Because like I said, he's... But you're I, selling a player who cost, what, 70 million quid after... 75, yeah. You get, you get decent bit back. Look, this well, is... Yeah, who's going to buy him? No, Sanchez is a bad comparison, to be honest with you, Owen, because I think Sanchez had a massive question mark about his kind of attitude uh, uh, and mentality, etc. I'd, I'd never say that. Uh, McGuire strikes me as a good character. And I can see the qualities in terms of he has, why, why he was brought into the... He wouldn't be... I've said it from the start, I wouldn't have bought him. I wouldn't have bought him because I looked at McGuire and thought, fantastic football player, very dominant, wills a lot of headers when it comes into his area in the box. He'll score, chip him a half a dozen goals during the season. But you know what? Manchester United team traditionally play on the front foot. They want to play in the opposition half. You know, they send their full-backs in the high position. They commit players high up the pitch. And that's put, that puts big pressure on the two centre-halves who are stood in the halfway line in terms of, yeah, you're going to have to defend the times. You're going to have to defend 1v1 if you have to. That's the way we play. That's, that's a Manchester United centre-half. You've got to be good enough to do that. And I don't think quite... Harry Maguire has never been that type of defender. And he's been exposed a couple of times, like I said already. And I just feel as if... It, it, 
I, it, it's just how I say it. It's just a gut feeling. I just think potentially, you know, if they want to get to the level Liverpool are at, and that's a, you know, it's a high bar, Manchester City as well. You just can't have a chink. You can't have a chink in your army, particularly down the spawn of the team in that central defensive uh, position. You know, it's cost Manchester City to a certain extent, particularly in kind of uh, Champions League. And certainly last season, that little small frailties in that central uh, defensive area of the pitch. And I, I, I sense a little bit that with Manchester United. And it's not just the, the person who's playing alongside Maguire. It's in his makeup as well, Maguire, in terms of his qualities and his small deficiencies. And I just don't feel as if he's, he's the perfect fit for Manchester United in, in that respect. That's a tough thing to say because I'm a big fan of him in a lot of other respects, character-wise, and the abilities that he has. But I, I just... I'm at that stage now where I'm thinking, who's going to be brave enough? I don't think Solskjaer will do it while he's at the football club. And he may well buy a top-class centre-half. Who knows? Koulibaly might come in at the last minute. He may buy another top-class um, full-back. Could that fix Harry Maguire? Could somebody... It'll help, but it won't fix it. Because even somebody like Koulibaly or an absolute top-class centre, Uber Meccano's a young player, probably going to develop into that type of player, the excellent player. But he can only help to an extent. It's a left-sided centre-half can't get on a right-sided centre-half's outside shoulder and give cover. He can't make up that type of ground. So at various stages during the game, you're going to have to defend your air of the pitch. You're going to have to be good enough. You're going to have to be quick enough to read situations. Not just read. He's a good reader of the game, actually, Maguire. I think he actually reads things very well. But sometimes you haven't got that natural pace, that turn of pace, particularly on the turn. You're going to get found out. We're not overreacting. Obviously, we're one game in. But what you're saying is that it's... It would take a miracle for them to win the league with this current setup. Oh, they're not going to win, obviously, at the moment. No, not at the moment. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows that. They're not well, going to I mean, I think the front, I think there's, the front five, I think, potentially, uh, Fernandez and Pop is as good as anything. They can, they can put numbers down as good as anything, as good as Liverpool, potentially, uh, going forward. Small issue in terms of holding midfielder. Who is it going to be? McTominay played there yesterday. I think, potentially, he could develop into that type of player. But again, it's crossed that defensive line. Yeah, could they reinforce with Sancho? Yeah, absolutely. That would reinforce that front three. But again, it's it's crossed the defensive line. Similar to Chelsea, just in terms of that defensive unit. At least Chelsea went out and bought a fullback, a centre-back and a keeper. Like, that's what they did. They were like, we have a problem here. We're going to buy him, we're going to buy him, we're going to buy him. We're going to keep looking. At yeah, least but you got to play the right play. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. He, but, he, question now on Thiago, certainly on Chilwell for me. I can't understand what paid 50 million on, on, English, on, that's why. on Chilwell. He's yeah, that's, that's, that's not a particularly good reason for me. But Yeah, but it, it's huge. I really think it is. It's, you know, it's an attacking game. We know it. You know, goals, you're talking about goals every game. We all kind of love it, etc., etc. But for me, there always has to be that balance. The very best teams... Uh, I've ever seen in European football I've always had that outstanding individual players great attacking units scored lots of goals but always counted by that solid defensive uh, base in behind and that defensive mentality um, in, in individual players who understood uh, how, how to defend uh, let's move on to just a, a couple of final questions. Kenny, we can do these in rapid-fire style. Uh, Spurs yesterday, uh, according to your view, would, does Gareth Bale improve that team, that current setup, or does Jose need to tweak things considerably? Oh, he improves across the... the, the, the <laughs> I feel like I can repeat myself, across the, the, the attacking line now, but he doesn't solve the problems further down the, uh, further down the pitch. I think it was interesting. Again, Sun's contribution yesterday was like amazing, but he really hurt Southampton down the centre of the pitch. On and I'm always, I'm, inter- I'm always interested when I've heard Marino of like screaming about I need a, I need a backup for Kane. I need we need to spend. I need I need a, a second number nine. It's too much workload on Harry Kane's shoulders. I, I always scratch my head a little because 
the answer's within the squad. It's Son. That, that, that's your second striker. If you need to take Harry Kane out, you need to put somebody high up the pitch. It's Son. And if you look at some, actually some of the uh, link-up play between the two of them, it was Kane dropping off into like a deep line number 10 position and Son driving into the space in behind the two centre-halves that caused Southampton all sorts of problems in that second half. So Son's the answer for me. That's their second number nine. And I think there's actually an argument at times for Son actually playing ahead of uh, Harry Kane as an out-and-out number nine, and nine in certain games. I think the attributes he has is pacing behind, timing of his runs in behind is something which Harry Kane can give you. Now, Kane's got some other magnificent attributes. The ball he played for Suns for call yesterday, Alan, was absolutely amazing. Uh, the quality, I, I, couldn't, mm. you know, I, I couldn't talk it up enough. So that's great. Bale coming in will help give them more variation there. So I think they have no problems high up the pitch. And yes, I do think Bale will strengthen them when fit, if he's going to be fit for enough games. But Spurs, I could talk about Spurs, we could be talking about the same Chelsea, Manchester United um, in terms of uh, defensive uh, qualities as well. Centre half, are they good enough in the centre defensive positions? No. Centre midfield, have they got that, those kind of natural defensive uh, defenders in there? In Winks, in particular, no. Hoiberg, to a certain extent. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit the same old same when we're talking about Spurs. Uh, when it comes to Leeds, I know you were covering them on Saturday. It seems that their biggest critic so far this season has actually been Marcelo Bielsa. He's come out and said the same thing after the first two games, saying we're actually scoring in lucky enough ways that we're, the shots we're putting up actually aren't enough to score the amount of goals that we've been scoring. He's basically saying that this isn't currently sustainable. What do you reckon? Yeah, but he's, I, thought, I suppose he's saying that, yeah, he'd like more shots on goal, but what you couldn't mm. argue is that they haven't been clinical. Oh, when those yeah. chances arrived, they were where the Anfield. I don't think you can complain too much by saying, I'm not happy, we're being far too clinical. <laughs> when those chances, that's almost what he's saying, isn't it? Yeah. If you flip it over, but he's right. If you look at the chances yesterday, Helder Costa, first goal was half a chance, brilliant finish. Second goal as well, you know, slightly easier fin, but not easy, not easy top corner again. So that's something to be celebrated. But he's probably right, he probably feels as if I need to create more chance. But again, defensively, you know, you can see four one up. The game should be over. You know, you you see out the game. You manage the game better. They didn't do that. Uh, Fulham allowed Fulham back into the game. They could have easily have got a draw. But I, w- I wouldn't be downbeat in terms of Leeds. What I've seen from Leeds, first half they dropped off a little bit against Fulham in terms of the intensity levels uh, on. And you looked at them and think and thought, oh, that's this is quite mediocre actually what I'm watching. But as soon as they upped those intensity levels, second half the pass was more crisper, a little bit more direct. They looked like the Leeds of the previous week against Liverpool. So I'd be very buoyant if I was a Leeds supporter. Uh, in terms of the amount of goals conceded, generally speaking, uh, from what I've seen. But obviously, improvement needs to be made. I'd suggest in the defensive area of the pitch, Costa just come in there, looks as if he's going to need a period uh, of adjustment there at centre-half. But uh, no, I think, um, I think a good days ahead for, for Leeds this season, from what I've seen. And then just a, a final one then on Everton, looking brilliant for the first couple of games. A staff for you here is that Hamas Rodriguez completed zero sprints on Saturday. <laughs> uh, with a player of that quality, do you just uh, accept that they're not going to do that and just hope that they are statuesque but brilliant? Yeah, well, I'm going to talk myself down here. Jerry's accused me of talking myself up a little bit later, uh, early on the show, uh, indirectly. So I'm going to have a go at myself here. I questioned the James Rodriguez uh, signing when he came to the football club for the reasons that you've suggested there, and I thought, this is a lad who just doesn't run. How do, you, how do you accommodate him in the team? Ancelotti, you know, doesn't generally play with a kind of a number 10 he's going to play him off the flank but if he plays him off the flank he won't stay wide he'll come on the inside he won't track back so all of these things this was the natural discussion with him but from what I've seen what I saw Saturday Owen with him I, I, I saw the argument and I think it was fair that do you know what he doesn't necessarily track back 
He doesn't, he's not going to track the opposition fullback. He's not necessarily going to hold his position wide right of a three, which is where he's been asked to play. But when he drifts onto the inside, into the centre of the pitch, into those little pockets of space, in behind the opposition uh, midfielders and gets the ball, he's going to hurt you. He's, he could take the game away from you. And that's almost what he did to West Bromwich Albion. Got a brilliant strike from that position, drifting into that number 10 position. Great goal. And the ball that he played second half to uh, Richarlison would ended up in Carvalhoon bundling the ball over. I don't know if you saw the goal, Jer, mm. uh, into the goal. I don't know if you remember Owen. The little kind of scoop pass from about 25, 30 yards out. You're looking at him saying, well, how can he... Where, he needs an Ivan Needle pass. Where's the space to play this pass? And all of a sudden, it's just that, that little scoop one over the top. And it's one of those moments you think, whoa, there's not too many players I can think of actually could have played that pass. So you're right. So you're right in terms of what he's contributing in possession at the moment from an attacking point of view. Far outweighs those defensive uh, deficiencies. And I give Ancelotti a lot of credit, and I shouldn't have doubted him because I'm a huge An- Ancelotti fan. He's worked with James Rodriguez. He knows him a lot more than me, even in terms of character. He's made the decision to bring him into the football club. He's backed him, and so far it looks as if it's the right decision. That was an OTB Podcast Network presentation. 